0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We are in the book of 1 Corinthians as a church. Uh, we are looking through this book and we just happen to be in chapter 15 right now where it talks about uh, the resurrection. And we're going to talk about what exactly the resurrection is and what does that mean for us. Uh, we are, um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read these verses as we come to them, uh, but what we're going to do is um, let me read the main middle section of these verses together so that as we work through them, we know what we're looking at. But we're going to be in 1 Corinthians, so that's um, those verses will be up on the screen, but if you have a Bible, um, like we usually say, 1 Corinthians is about 100 pages in from the back cover. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The little numbers are the verses. I'm going to read we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 15:12 to 34. I'm going to read verses 20 to 28 and then we'll pray and look at these together. But in fact, Christ ha- Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ at the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepting, who um, he is expected, who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection to him, that God may be all in all. Let's pray, Father. As we look at these passages together, as we look at First Corinthians, I pray that as we lean into what does this resurrection even mean and how does it affect our lives, that we would know the power of Christ's resurrection over death, and that we would experience that power that he has over death in our lives. Father, I pray that we would know that in these days where our bodies feel very frail, that we have a hope in Jesus that is tangible and physical, and that will come and renew all things in him. So we pray for your spirit's power to help us know the power of Christ's resurrection today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The reality is uh, that death scares us. Uh, We have actually had testimonies in the church about how folks have have wrestled with a deep fear of death, and then in their uh, coming to Christ, finding and wrestling with this deep reality of the meaning of death and how it changes our lives. This is why I think a lot of us are, frankly, uh, very scared of this uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus situation. Um, It is because not because we fear getting sick, as much as we fear getting dead. (laughs) Fear of death is a great control in our lives. It is the great shadow that overlooms our entire lives. Um, It is the great sleep. It is the great darkness. Um, Even songs, um, I think of Death Cab for Cutie, where they sing this song about, I'm going to follow you into the dark, and it is the great unknown. It is the great blackness that that we fear. Death is a reality that we all fear. I remember the first time that I engaged with uh, the reality of death as a kid. I think we all remember the first time we realized that, as a kid, we'd think that we would live forever, and then suddenly realize, like, oh, death, like, is real. I remember uh, being in the back of my dad's van as we, uh, as I made a fort, and we drove out to go to my great grandfather's funeral. And I remember seeing his dead body, this man that I barely knew, and realizing that he was never going to come alive again that he was not going to take a breath in and sit up. Some of us not only experience that as kids, but then as we we age, death scares us because it hits us closer to home and realize that death is not like a meeting that we sign up for and then we kind of show up and it happens. It can hit us at any moment, often in unexpected ways in ways we wouldn't have anticipated. I remember Michelle and I, um, for years, over over the course of our marriage, we've experienced three miscarriages. And in those, each of those moments, realizing how close death comes into our family without even expecting it. It's not something that we invite. And maybe it's something that's hit your family or your own life with cancer or murder or some other dynamic that is shocking and unexpected. A car wreck where family members, your spouse, your children are taken away in an unexpected way. And so when we talk about COVID-19, The real fear is this is something that could kill us, Um, not statistically most of us, but that is a part of the reality of what we're facing these days, and that is a part of the reality that anybody should face if you're trying to find meaning in life. Um, You should test and kick the tires of Christianity to the extent that you find what does Christianity have to say about death, because that is where death and meaning are most realized, Christianity is all about these difficult realities. We we must face these difficult realities in our life. Often we ask these questions of Who am I? What am I here for? And why why do I exist? We all have these kind of why questions. Um, we ask questions of What? Why am I like this? Why am I the way I am? Why am I me? We ask questions about the meaning of life. What is life all about? What is this? What are we here for? And then we also often ask questions: um, Is this all there is? Is there something after death? Death is this great barrier. It marks everybody must face it. There is a 100% success rate of death in this world, and we all must face it. And that's why when you're evaluating Christianity or you're trying to find truth in Christianity, the reality is that Christianity does stare death right in the face, deals with its fullness, deals with all of the ambiguities and sadness and decay that death brings in our lives, it stares her right in the face. And what we're talking about this morning is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which then overturns the power of death. It's a crazy thing to think about death, which is the thing that we all dread being flipped upside down in the resurrection of Jesus. And before we talk about that, I just want to talk a little bit about uh what what is this idea of resurrection? Um, i I bring this up because i I don't even know if we all really know what that means as a culture. I think it's largely a foreign idea The, the closest idea that we have to resurrection um, as a culture is this whole idea of zombies, right? There's a few years ago this whole thing of zombie Jesus where basically because zombies are real uh, as like a cultural phenomenon, what we think about zombies uh, are something that we recognize as, like, that's the closest thing that we have to the resurrection. Um, it's just, well, on Easter, Christians celebrate Jesus coming back to, uh, from the dead, and so that must be zombie Jesus, right? Think about Walking Dead and all these things. Uh, that That is not even close to the idea of resurrection because zombies are just, like, they're not who they were. They're just, like, this moving person that has a body that's not, you know, whatever. I'm not a big horror movie guy. Like, I... would I've watched a few episodes of The Walking Dead. It's not for me, but uh, I know it's some of your deals, but that's not even close to what the Bible is thinking about when it comes to the resurrection. The resurrection is this idea that a person who was tr- has truly died, so there's the we think of our physical bodies, which have blood flowing through them, and our, our souls, which have life in them, both of them being fully dead, no life in them, the resurrection is this idea that both body and soul are restored to what the person was like before they died, right? Not uh, exempting anything about who they were. Everything about them is brought back to life on the other side of death. That's the idea of what resurrection as a general category is. And then when we talk about the resurrection of Jesus, we are talking about a resurrection that is magnitudes better because when he rises from the dead, he no longer dies, so we we just read in John 11 the story of Lazarus where Lazarus dies, um, he is raised to life from Jesus, and then it has to be like the worst miracle ever to experience because you're brought back to life and then he dies later on. <laughs> like that would not be very. I mean, it would be great to be resurrected, but I would like to be resurrected and not have to go through death again. Lazarus does die because he's not Jesus. When Jesus rises from the dead, he rises to a new life that will never die again. Death no longer has a claim on him. Death no longer has power over him. His death and resurrection has some story element to it that now breaks the power of death. And so that's what we're looking at this morning in this passage. You see, Christ's resurrection is different in that as we look at how the resurrection of Christ is different, it weaves us into this power that God has for us in Jesus. God has woven us, when we're in Jesus, when we trust in him, he's woven us into this resurrected life of Jesus. And so here's the main point of what we're looking at this morning. Know the power of Christ's resurrection over death in your life. It's real simple. Know the power of Christ's resurrection over death in your life. Death has a power, but Jesus has destroyed it. Just like um, any tyrant in life, death is this major tyrant over our lives, and death um, when it meets Jesus, Jesus turns this tyrant of death into a servant for the Christian's life. And so that's the dynamics of what we're looking at. The first thing we're going to pick up here in verses 12 to 19 is we're going to see the death of despair in the resurrection of Jesus. So the, we're just going to be making the points very simple, and then I'll fill them out for us. But the death of despair in the resurrection of Jesus, the death of despair, verses 12 to 19. When we read this for us now, in, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and, our, and your faith is in vain. We have even found to be, we have even been even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised for if the dead are not raised not even Christ has been raised and if Christ has not been raised your faith is futile and you are still in your sins then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have have perished and if Christ if in Christ we hope only in this life we have all people we are we are of all people most to be pitied so the reason Paul is addressing this before we get into this this passage here in verse 12 it says how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead, right? There, is a, there was something going on in the church in Corinth where some people were saying, like, Jesus is great, love him, glad he died for our sins, there's no resurrection from the dead. So they were basically saying Christianity and the message of G- that Paul tells us about Jesus died for our sins, resurrected to new life, half of it's true, the rest of it's bunk. But really, that was coming from a context in the day where uh, the Greek philosophical tradition largely saw the body as this kind of like cocoon and carcass that you kind of had to deal with, but was largely dirty and unimportant. And so when you died, out of town, grateful to get rid of this carcass, now we're just pure spirit. So the strong who would have been, you know, the highly educated, the highly cultural powered people, right? We've looked at them all through the book of First Corinthians. They would have seen... The resurrection of the dead is kind of like, oh, well, that's for uh, the weaker people, but we who are more enlightened, who are stronger, who are more culturally astute and more learned, we know that resurrection, that, that's ridiculous. We, we don't need this body anymore. The weak would have taken Paul at, his, at face value and said, well, Paul said this is what God is telling us in the Bible. Uh, seems pretty true to me. Um, I believe in the resurrection. So some of them are saying there's no resurrection. Some are saying, yes, we believe it. That's why Paul's engaging with us here because it is a critical aspect to the gospel. So what we're going to look at here is there is a logic that Paul draws out that is helpful in recognizing the reason why the resurrection is so helpful and so important and essential to the Christian message. A logic here that we need to follow. Basically, Paul through uh, verses 14 to 19 he basically says this, if Christ was not raised from the dead, right? Okay, let's take your premise seriously. You're saying there's no resurrection, so that means that Christ was not raised from the dead. If that's true, if Christ was not raised from the dead, then there is no Jesus who's alive now to help you. You're still dead in your sins, and there's nothing more to the Christian message than basically souped-up hallmark slogans. Basically, uh, the Christian message falls flat of its power, and it has no value to it, because if your logic's true, there's no resurrection from the dead. There's no Jesus who's alive to help you. There's no Jesus alive to save you. There's no Jesus alive to raise you from the dead. And then he kind of has all these other kind of statements similar to that. He's following out the logic of their statement. Basically, if you're saying, if what you're saying is true, there's no resurrection from the dead, then we've actually been lying about who God is, and that's not good. <laughs> like. So what I appreciate here is that Paul takes their their premise seriously and engages with it, but he engages with it to to draw out. Here's the ultimate conclusion, because you can say, okay, there's no resurrection from the dead, but what does that mean? Ultimately, for Paul, what that means is that uh, there's no value in having a dead Savior, right? The Christian message is all about you have a Savior who's good and has saved you from your sins, and he's dead, that really has no value for my life, right? A dead savior does me no good. And so when Paul says then that they are to be, that you're still in your sins, there at the end of verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still dead in your sins. You see, the deepest aspect, the deepest message of Christianity is that you are saved from the power of your sins, which is the sting of death. And if you have not been saved from that, because Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the reality is that Christianity is just a bunch of cat posters with inspirational slogans on them. Like, there's really no value. But he says, so, the logic to reverse what Paul is saying is that because Christ is raised from the dead, it removes the power of sin over those who are in Christ. Why? Well, this is the gospel message. Christ was innocent and perfect and would never would have died, He willingly gave up his life to take on the full brunt of God's wrath for our sins and take on the full despair of our lives facing down the plight of death. And when he took on the wrath of God in our place and died in our place, he then, because he did not deserve those things, nor did he earn those things, but because he took our place in them, when he rose from the the grave, he freely then gives that power of life and victory over the grave to whoever he chooses. So if you're trusting in Christ, if you're interested in Christ, that is made available to you. You can now have a power in you that is more powerful than the grave itself because of what Jesus did in dying in our place and rising over the power of Satan, sin, and death. One of the things that I love about this passage, though, is Paul uh, is not offended uh, by objections to the, to the message of the gospel, He's not object. He's not even offended by other Christians who are wrestling through questions or even kind of have bought into uh, the these uh, bad arguments or bad theology. Paul's not not offended by those things. He takes them seriously. He engages with them. He doesn't demean the argument. He doesn't. Um, he's not demeaning and he's not insulting. You guys don't believe in the resurrection? How can you be that dumb? He doesn't say anything like that. But he does take their premise seriously and follows the logic out to show this is not really in line with what God tells us in the Bible. Right? He takes it seriously. He thinks through it, and he engages with it seriously. So if you've got objections about Christianity, if you're a Christian and you've got struggles of theological questions, we don't need to be demeaning with, with the with other people or, um, when people wrestle with these questions. It's, it's okay to doubt. It's not okay to make doubt your theology. It is to take these things seriously and then wrestle with them. Okay, but how can we take this question about the resurrection and follow it through to see "Mm, if the resurrection is not true, Jesus is not raised from the dead, still in our sins. So then we need to be able to be okay with, okay, I need to give up that idea and then come in line with the Bible's teaching. Often, when we wrestle with questions, we must be okay with God contradicting our assumptions. And that's what Paul does in this passage. He doesn't demean them but he does engage seriously. He does does it respectfully, but he draws out this reality that in Christ's resurrection, one of the things that is most essential to our lives is that he overcomes the power of death and despair in our lives. Why do I bring up despair out of this passage? Well, frankly, Paul here at the end, verse 18, those who have fallen asleep, right, he says, all right, if there's no resurrection, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, And if in Christ we have hope only in this life, we are of all people most to be pitied. Right? If there's no resurrection, uh, that means that death wins. And if death wins, that means that really this whole Christian thing is pointless. Um, There's this great line from the Lord of the Rings uh, where Gandalf says, despair is only for those who see the end beyond all doubt. Despair is this reality of if believing ultimately at the end of the day, Death and decay and destruction, chaos wins. Death wins is basically the essence. That is the fundamental story of despair, right? We, it is to say that um, we experience despair when we say, "My life will never change." This will always be like this. That person will always be like that. I said this a couple weeks ago when I got in an argument with a friend of mine. Why do you always fill in the blank? I had to repent of that, and it is a function of despair. Despair says death wins and that there is nothing ever that could change this. At my vantage point in life to say this is what despair says, from everything that I've experienced right now, I can make the proclamation that... Death ultimately wins, and that nothing here will change. That is what this passage is basically, the logic that Paul is drawing out. Death and decay ultimately win if Jesus cannot be raised from the dead. But the fact that Jesus can be raised from the dead, he was raised from the dead, it destroys the power of despair in our lives. That Even the most bleakest circumstances, the death of Jesus Christ, the innocent Son of God, is reversed into the surprising explosion of life from his grave, (laughs) When Jesus rose from the grave, he left death in the, in the grave clothes in his grave. So the reason that we have hope over despair is because Jesus has destroyed the very function of despair in our lives by overcoming the darkest situation in his own life. He did experience death. He was truly dead. But through that, he was risen to life and now puts that, that same hope that even the darkest circumstances and the most bleakest circumstances give us hope. The reason for hope during this pandemic is the resurrection, right? I'm not trying to be cavalier. We are abiding by the CDC's guidelines for how we want to engage and serve our neighbors by being at home, being isolated. But frankly, the very worst that COVID-19 can do for those who are in Christ is death. I'm not saying it's not important. I'm not saying that it is uh, trivial. It is a very serious, and we want to protect our friends and neighbors from from being exposed to this and we want the weakest among us to to be freed from the exposure of this virus that could kill them. We're not trying to be cavalier. But if you have hope in Christ, the worst that could happen is that you be that is that you die, you meet Jesus face to face and that you're raised to life with him. That's not a bad story to be involved in. Right? The this the scariest reality is to be left to our own death without Christ covering us, where we would experience the full realities of death for all eternity. Is it painful to die? Probably. Is it the worst thing that could happen to you? No. So even as we look through these days, we don't have any reason to despair because Christ is raised from the dead, and even the worst situation that could happen to us is not that bad at the end of the day. As we know the power of Christ's resurrection over death in our lives, the second thing that we're going to see here in verses 20 to 28 is the death of death. Uh, this is a bit of a turn of a phrase, but we're going to see the death of death in this story that unfolds in verse 20 to 28. I want you to pay attention. This is a story that's being told. And so pay attention to the death of death, how Christ's resurrection destroys death's story in your life as we read through these verses. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the, de- raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. But each his own order, Christ the first fruits, and at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. He must reign, that's Jesus, He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection to his feet. But when it says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted uh, accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. There's a lot going on in this, but you still hear the story of what is being told here, that if Jesus is raised from the dead, which is true, Jesus was raised from the dead, now because that's true, there is a story unfolding where death's power is slowly and incrementally pulled back. It is undermined. It is destroyed because Jesus' resurrection destroys death itself. You'll notice this is a story, and it ultimately the story ends with all things being put under the power of God himself, because Jesus is, the story basically unfolds, will reign over the earth is reigning now will reign and as he reigns his power grows and has influence over the power of death to shrink it back so that when he returns he brings all things under subjection to him says here's my kingdom here's my people we all now belong to god the father everything is put in its joyful right place before god and under his rule and then it is it as it ends, God will be all in all. God will be the delight of every aspect, every atom, every function, relationship, sphere in this world. It will all be made right and new with no death. That sounds like a beautiful story. But there is another story being told here, right? There is a story of the power of death in our lives. Death has reigned. It says here, for by one's man before as verse twenty one, for as by a man came death, and verse twenty two, for as in Adam all die. Right here is a story of the power of death in our lives. Adam, in rejecting God's uh, rule, as God said, God, I think I can do this better than you, without your help and without your authority. And Adam, that was the beginning of death. The beginning of Genesis. It uses this image of death being a double death. Right in the um, in Genesis. Uh, when it says the curse is, if you eat from the tree, you shall surely die. The original Hebrew is a double death, right? It is a double negative. If you eat from this tree, you will die, die. Like you'll not just kind of die, like, oh, I got a cut on my hand. You'll die, die. A, a death of the body and the soul. And so in this aspect of the decay and destruction of death, it tells a story in our lives from Adam until now, where all areas of our life, relational conflict, abuse, murder, lying, all types of ways in which death wreaks a reward in our lives, all those things tell a story from Adam until now. And we see this actually taking on some steam in our our culture today where um, death, um, and like we were just talking about despair, seem to be a more predominant narrative. Uh, You see this actually as more movies and stories are being told where the bad guy wins. Right, I I think uh, most recently we had um, the the movie Joker, where Joker is celebrated, and you know he's this horrible villain in the whole comic book universe, and he's celebrated as like, hey, like he's the guy we want to win, the agent of chaos and despair. We think of the movies like uh, largely they're horror movies because this idea of the the bad guy winning is a horrific thought, right? Think of the movie Seven, Silence of the Lambs, No Country for Old Men. So those are like dark movies where the villain wins. And then there's even some lighter movies that we all enjoy, like Empire Strikes Back, right? Who wins at the end of that? Darth Vader wins, right? Uh, We think of Avengers uh, Infinity War, right? Who wins at the end of that? Thanos with his snap, right? He wins, right? That is why that movie feels so sad. I remember when that movie, Infinity War, uh, first launched and everybody was kind of seeing their no spoilers uh, hot takes on the movie, everybody was sad because the bad guy won, right? <laughs> it, is, it is increasingly taking on this, this life in our, in our culture where when death wins, we all inherently feel like this is a sad story. This is a story that really should not be true. And that's why in this passage, we see this story being unfolded because stories have a power in our lives, and when we see the true story of God's victory over Satan, sin, and death, primarily death in this passage, it is something that gives us hope and peace, right? We we love stories because God is a storytelling God. We look at these stories um about bad guys winning because they express this innate dynamic in us where we are storytelling creatures to capture our meaning in life, and when our meaning doesn't have a resurrection, our meaning has death winning, and so we tell stories that reflect that. When we get engrafted, when we get woven into this resurrected power and story of Jesus, we begin to feel this powerful story take on flesh and blood in our own lives that death does not actually, at the end of the day, win. Death is not the ultimate story? Death is not the story that God tells. It is a different story. God tells a story. Verse twenty-two, but as an Adam all died, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Right. This is a story where all who are in in Christ are made alive beyond the grave. It is a story that has more to say about your life than even your death could say. Right. Christ has been raised from the dead, and so at the last day over, um, over him and he t- uh, Christ is raised from the dead, and death has no final say over Jesus, and he untells all the stories of death in our lives. I, verse 26 has taken on a powerful meaning in my own life. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, right? In the story of Jesus' victory over the world of Satan, sin, and death, the last enemy, you might say the last person in line to come up and meet Jesus and stare at him face to face is death personified himself, for me, as, we, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning, um Michelle and I have walked through three miscarriages. And as we walk through them, this, pow- this verse has taken on a new life for me that even as these children were taken from us, uh, in the mystery of however that happened, uh, they ultimately did not have, uh, they were not defined by death. Even though they were, these children were taken, they died, Death does not have the final say. And when death strikes so closely, when somebody so close to you dies, when you feel the power of death in your life, whether it's through the death of a marriage, whether through the death of a friendship, whether it's actual literal deaths of friends and marriages and family members, we have to remember that as powerful as that death feels and real, I can't call back to those children. You can't call back to that relationship. You can't call back and engage with those people who have died. Death will actually, at the end of the day, die in the resurrection and return of Jesus. Death no longer has power here. Death no longer is the defining story. You see this actually a part of the story here, verses 25 through 26. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. There is a story actually that this talks about us right now. Jesus must reign, verse 25, until all of his enemies have been put under his feet. Right, This is talking about from the ascension of Christ until the return of Christ. He must reign. There is something that Jesus is doing right now where he is bringing all of his enemies under his rule, which means that the power of the gospel, the influence of the gospel, the penetration of the gospel into every aspect and sphere of our lives will increase and grow and have a powerful uh, death and resurrection story in every sphere of our lives until the return of Christ. I, I expect a, a, as we look through the his, history, a progressive power and influence of the gospel in every sphere of life. That does not mean that we will have a perfect world before Jesus returns. That's not what we're saying. That does say that we will have a gospel shaped aspect of every sphere of our lives where the gospel has penetrated the power and grace and resurrection of Jesus in every sphere of our lives until the re- return of Christ. One right now that I think that we're wrestling through, not only culturally, but as in, in the broader Christian church, is there is an addiction to power that must be exposed and must die. And as you, you see all these stories of pastors who get addicted to power and they abuse it and all this sort of stuff, as those areas are exposed, Christ is pushing them to their death so that those idols in our lives die and they are brought under his feet, under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Which means that we don't actually know what the fruit will look like. We don't get to control what the fruit of repentance looks like. It often looks very much like Jesus, which is grace and mercy and love. But when that puts on flesh, we don't know what, that, what they expect that to look like. But we do know that areas of our lives that reject his rule must die. And they must die because his story is a resurrected life over the power of death in our lives. So in your own life, were there areas in your life where there is something that must die, that is a rejection of Jesus, is an ambivalence to Jesus, and must experience the story of his grace, must experience the story of his resurrected life, bringing new resurrected power change, maybe it is an addiction, maybe it is uh, a habit, maybe it is an area where you have said, everywhere but here, Jesus, you can have. Maybe it's something where, you know what, actually, I don't really like having to think about this, and what does the Bible have to say about that? Whatever that area is, our hesitations, our obsessions, they must die at the feet of Jesus, because the story of resurrected life must live in those areas as we are consumed into this life, all-consuming life of God. You see, the end of the story is that God may be all in all. That is where we want our lives to be grounded, that God would have all of us enveloped in who he is and that we would experience his life in us. You see, in Christ's resurrection, death and its story is gasping for air. It is running and that it will be overcome by the resurrection of Jesus' powerful life in your life. Some of us talk about this as like a bit of, um, if you know the history of World War II, you know on June 6, 1944, Normandy, uh, the Normandy invasion happened. And when that happened, that effectively started the end of the war. They, they knew the moment that they hit ground and that they uh, took the beach of Normandy, that the war was over. Now, the war wasn't actually over until May or September of the 1945. That was when the war actually ended. That's what the story is like. In the resurrection of Jesus, all the ways in which death has reaped fruit in your life, their power has been cut off by faith in Jesus. And so now they are progressively being rolled back so that when the return of Jesus happens or we die and see him face to face, that's when the story is realized in its full, story, its full ending. But the ending's begun. That's the story of death and, the, and your life. It's no longer your tyrant. It's no longer your master. It is merely a slave in the garden of your soul, helping you reap fruit for Jesus. Let's end this by looking at verse 29 to 34, and we'll see how the death of decay is realized in the life of Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 29, let me, actually, let me just read verse 29 for us. Uh, because I need to make a little comment about this before we move on to the rest of the verse, he says, "Otherwise, why do people? What do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the, death, if the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf?" Okay, well, let's pause there because this is a, like a bit of a, a one-off comment and a bit of a weird story. So. Even though there were Corinthians who were saying there's no resurrection of the dead, um, that's not important. We do have this like religious thing of people getting baptized, and uh, people died before they got baptized, so let's get baptized in their place. That's basically what was happening, and Paul is saying like, first of all, that makes no sense. Like, if the if baptism signifies people getting raised from the dead, and you don't believe in the resurrection, then why are you getting baptized in their behalf? Uh, second thing is. Uh it's very clear from the way Paul is talking about this, that this is like a one-off, like, you guys are crazy thing going on in Corinth. It wasn't like a, a universal practice in the church. Some people have talked about, like, should we get baptized on behalf of the dead? I know Mormons, uh, they talk about getting baptized on behalf of the dead. Uh, that's all bunk. Don't do that. That's crazy. Um, you only get baptized if you've come to faith in Jesus. And that's why Paul is kind of calling out their their logical fouls here. Like, this doesn't make any sense, guys. But that does mean, though, is that if you have come to faith in Jesus... We want to baptize you. Um, I don't know when. (laughs) I don't know when we're going to do that, but we want to celebrate baptisms on the other side of COVID-19 and all this mess. I would love to talk with you because we want to baptize people who have come to faith in Jesus and experience his resurrected power in them. That's the purpose of baptism. Go to Romans 6 if you're looking for more details on that. But baptism represents, I have been raised in new life with Jesus internally by forgiveness of sins, And physically, one day when he returns. So, if that's you, let's talk. Now, let's pick up here, verse thirty. Why are we in danger every day? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day, but if I but do I gain? If, if humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus. If the dead are not raised, he says, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So a few comments about this verse. first of all uh, verse 29, but if I if I uh, what do I gain if I fought beast in Ephesus? Did Paul fight beast in Ephesus? Not likely he was a Roman citizen. Roman citizens weren't subjected to that sort of uh, torture. Um, So this is a hyperbolic statement, but he's saying, like, look, there are people who fight beasts in Ephesus, and even if I did that, and even if I was the Olympian who won the gold medal in fighting beasts in Ephesus, I don't gain anything by destroying those beasts in the field, in the the Colosseum, if I don't get raised from the dead. Like, what good is that? Like, I don't prove anything by being, uh, by accomplishing the greatest things in this world if I'm not raised. And he says, basically, um, if I'm not raised from the dead, then you know what? Let's just party, have a good time, because tomorrow we're going to die, right? There were the strong, quote unquote, in, in, Corinth, in Corinth, who were basically, they were getting drunk all the time. They were totally just given over to their sin because they're kind of like, look, uh, Jesus, great moral teacher, forgave me of my sins. I'm not going to be raised from the dead. So let's just kind of go, go and have a good time. That is the fruit of death's decay in our lives. When we just kind of let ourselves get ruled by our own passions, our own thoughts, and we don't allow the resurrected power of Christ to rule us. That's what Paul's addressing here. Decaying fruit in our lives, right? What are all the bad decisions that we've made that that didn't get me anything? Like, I, I didn't gain anything by that. I didn't become closer and more in love with Jesus from whatever this or that was. This argument, this fit of anger, this jealousy, whatever it is. I, those are all the, the, the fruits of decay in our lives. And Paul says, look, um, I want to live a life filled by the resurrected power of Jesus so that, verse 32, I gain, right? He wants to gain. That's what he's pointing out in verse uh, 31. I, brothers, in my pride in you, I die every day so that I might gain is basically what he's saying. I, I die in Jesus every day so that I gain something in Jesus. That That's kind of piecing these verses together, right? What is it that must die on a daily basis? Well, frankly, COVID-19 has caused a lot of us to have ex- experienced the, the death of our expectations, right? On a daily basis, how many of us are expectations of even just what the day will look like must die because of this or that? Our hopes and dreams, our idols, uh, everything about us that we hope to control ultimately must die if we are to have a joyful life in Jesus, if we are to gain Jesus. That's not to say that you don't have hopes and dreams, but it is to say that our idolatry of them, that we hold them close, that they must be the thing that we are defined by, they must die on a daily basis. We must die to ourselves, especially if you're a parent who must serve your kids and they come needy to you every five seconds of the day, um, whatever the needs are, my expectation to be in control of my life on my own terms, my expectation to be loved the way I want to be loved, my expectations to be known the way I must be known, then my expectations to have a successful career the way I want to have a su- successful career. All of those things must die on a daily basis. If we are to die well on a daily basis, then we will see the life and power of a death in Jesus when we finally die. We must die to our expectations, and find the sweet joy of knowing God's personal care for us, his personal power for us, and the resurrected power of Jesus Christ. That will bear fruit, right? That will bear fruit that will be on the grave. If you, even if you have a career that ultimately fails, even if you have a parent, uh, uh, if you're a parent and your children ultimately do not turn out the way you want them to, or they struggle in ways you would have never imagined, if you have a marriage that ultimately fails and, de- and decays, If you are dying to yourself on a daily basis, you cannot control the circumstances around you, but you are responsible to look to Jesus and to beg for help in producing a fruitful life for his glory. That is how the resurrected power works through you so that as you look to him, even as there is decay around you, there is a fruit being reaped for eternal rewards in Jesus, eternal life in Jesus when you are raised from the dead. It is okay, we want a faith that is okay with the daily deaths that we must die. Everything doesn't work out the way we want, but sometimes we need to be shaken awake so that even the good things we want to last, that have no eternal value, can be put in subjection to Jesus. If we die well daily, we will die well on the day when we see Jesus face to face. And so I pray that as we work through this passage, that you see that, this resurrected power undermines a story of despair and death in our lives. It undermines the, the the story of decay in our lives so that because Jesus is raised from the dead, I have a hope beyond the grave that gives value and meaning to my life in him right now. And so I pray that as we work through this passage, that you would know the power of Christ's resurrection over death in your life. Let's pray.